How are we doing? I'm not doing that well. I have a case of the FP, and for you non-members, um, that means food poisoning. Yeah, I gave it to myself Thursday, and I've been a wreck uh, this since then. So I'm going to do my best to get through this for you today. Um, I definitely need to pray and ask God for help, um, and then we'll get into this. Dear Jesus, I just thank you for this opportunity to gather. Um, wow, what a privilege it is for us to come together publicly in the open um, and not have to scurry into shadows to worship you. Uh, we get to come before you and sing loud without worry um, of being closed down or persecuted, um, where other brothers and sisters in different countries do have that worry. So we just pray for your return as we see that you will be coming in Scripture uh, to reveal your righteousness and your love. That way we may dwell with you and worship you with full hearts. I also pray that as we go through this text today, Lord, you give us insight. Uh, let the Holy Spirit teach us. Uh, please be here present teaching us the Scriptures as you taught the apostles. Uh, that way we may know you deeper and our joy may be increased. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So, yeah, I gave myself food poisoning. Um, it was going to be Taco Thursday at the Garnett House. I unfortunately left the meat out a little bit longer um, because of my sinful self. That's a lot of protein just to let to go to waste. And if you guys know me, I don't like to waste protein. Uh, so I made the sinful decision to eat it, and I am reaping what I sowed. But as will you if you don't worship the Lord with a full heart. <laughs> And do not judge me. So be patient with me. I'm going to set a time or two because I have a lot to go through. Um, and I practice this and I get to 40 minutes. And I'm really not going to try to do that to you today or myself. So here we go. Timer started. All right. If you have your Bibles, I really do recommend opening your scriptures. Let's get into chapter 66 of Isaiah, verses 15 through 24. If you don't have a paper Bible, shame on you, uh, but hey, it's okay. You can still open your phone. That's fine. God still loves you. If there's no different there. You have a Bible. It's fine. And if you don't have a Bible and you do have a smartphone, download the Bible app. Jesus loves you so much. It's free. There you go. It's a gift from God. Okay. So when we're looking at Isaiah in total, guys, we need to practice good hermeneutics. Now, what do I mean by hermeneutics? It's a Christian word that I did not pay money for, but I did learn it. Hermeneutics is a way to interpret the Bible. Here's a really simple formula. First, we want to observe the text. If I'm looking at this mic stand, what do I see? Well, I see guitar picks. I see the microphone. I see the cord. I see the stand. It's sitting on the black stage. So that's how we want to first approach the text. Let's observe. What do I see? The next thing we really want to do, specifically with the Old Testament, is say, okay, who is the author speaking to? To understand this text, it's really important that we practice that hermeneutic. We ask ourselves, who is the author speaking to? And this is post-Babylon Exodus uh, Jerusalem, the Israelites that went into exile in the Babylon. This is Second Temple literature. So that's who the author is speaking to. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, do I need to do all this research in order to understand the Bible? No, because the Holy Spirit is the one that can teach you. But that doesn't mean we should neglect other resources. So, for instance, I am a Marvel fan, which some of you are as well. I know that. I am an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan. 
this is where things get iffy. So, I believe in my heart of hearts, because this is what Jesus has revealed to me, so none of you can challenge it, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is canon. Boom, it's done. It's part of the main story with all the movies. Now, some people might have watched the Loki series and were like, no, actually it's not. Well, I would, all, I would argue multiverse and timeline. So, if you want to get into that, but that's just an example. So, why I say that, why I use that illustration, well, Marvel, they had this, well, Actually, Wikipedia has this really cool page called Wiki Fandom. So if you're a fan of Batman, you're a fan of X-Men, if you're a fan of any kind of comic book, Wiki Fandom is a, res- a resource that you can use to learn more about the story that the author is telling. That's what we need to do when we get into the Old Testament scriptures. It's really good to use other resources to understand what is going on here. Specifically, there's a lot of verses in this piece of scripture, 15 through 24, which can be really confusing. If you're looking at your text, I like to draw your attention to verse 17. Let's look at that. Those who sanctify and purify themselves that go into gardens, following one another in the mist, eating pig's flesh, the abomination, mice, shall come to an end altogether, declares the Lord. What? Like, if you're just reading this through the scripture, you have no idea without context what is going on here. And if you have a Bible background, you have a degree, maybe you do a little bit. But that's why it's really important to understand context because we can miss a lot of who God is if we do not understand who the author is speaking to. Now, before we get into the text, I want to take us through a review. I'm a school counselor, so sometimes I teach classes. Um, and what I think is really beneficial for students is to front load them. So Isaiah 66 has been broken into three sermons. Uh, the first sermon was more about how uh, one, ver- chapter 66, 1 through 6, the Lord despising heartless worship. So he despises people that come to him without a full heart. You can see this with Cain and Abel. So when Cain gave his sacrifice to the Lord, it wasn't the first fruits. And God did not enjoy that. He didn't appreciate that. And we see this throughout Isaiah, especially in 66, 1 through 6, him despising heartless worship. So it's like us coming here and just saying, yep, I love you, God, but not really meaning it. Raising our hands, putting our hands out, and doing it with an empty heart. The Lord despises that, and that's what we see in 1 through 6. 7 through 14, the second sermon that we gave over chapter 66, breaks it down into the blessings of, of those who love the Lord. So we go from people the Lord despises to the ones that receive a blessing, the one he loves. And what I was blessed with, which I think Donovan evaded, he was actually supposed to preach on this, but then he told me he had a trip to go on. And then when I read the first verse of 15, it says, behold, the Lord will come in fire. I was like, "Uh uh-huh, I see what you did here. Gave me the hard one. I get to talk about fire and brimstone today. Yeah, So, I learned this really cool theological word, and if you guys know me, I really like theology and I really like vocabulary. The the word I learned to really summarize what's going on in 15 through 24 is theophany. T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y. The theophany of God. This means the manifestation, the coming of the Lord. And when you hear the word theophany and you think about it, the Holy Spirit in you should be running you through the scriptures. 
Where have we seen the manifestation of the Lord? Well, we've seen him as the angel of the Lord, leading Joshua into the new land of Canaan and taking over the land that the Lord promised. We see theophany, the manifestation of the Lord in the burning bush. We see theophany, the manifestation of the Lord in the baptism of Jesus. We see theophany, the manifestation of the Lord in his, um, his transfiguration. We see it in the coming of the Holy Spirit resting on the heads of the apostles. And we also see it Um, in the resurrected Christ. So God has manifested himself. So when we look at this, there's a way to approach God's manifested self and his manifested truths in a way not to approach it. And that's what 15 through 24 is really talking about today. So Jesus talks about this. He wants to separate those who come before his, manifesta- his manifested self, his manifested truths, in two ways. Luke 3, 16 through 18 puts it like this. His winnowing fork in his hand to clear the th- threshing floor and to gather wheat into the barn and chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. There's going to be a separation of who comes before the Lord appropriately with a trembling heart and with a full heart for him and those who don't. Also, I think really important to know is Jesus is talking about casting fire on the earth. Luke 12, 49 through 53. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were, in that it were already kindled. Do you think that I came to come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And this division goes between people who are going to approach God, his manifested self, his manifested truth, the Holy Spirit, the words of the Bible, with a full heart and full of faith, and those who don't. So, where do we see this in the text? Well, we see it already in verses 15 and 16. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along with me. So, verses 15 and 16. For behold, the Lord will come. The Lord will theophany. The Lord will manifest himself. How? In fire. We've already seen Jesus' teaching on this. Fire is a way that God manifested himself. And there's different ways God uses fire to manifest himself. Right here, we're seeing it in judgment. And I'll let the text say it. It's not just me saying it. It is the text. It is the Holy Spirit revealing this through Isaiah. And his chariots, like the whirlwind, to render his anger in fury. By, for by fire will the Lord enter judgment. This goes back to him separating the chaff from the wheat The chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. That is Jesus. There is judgment coming, church. And by his sword, with all flesh, those slain by the Lord will be many. So these are things that we have to wrestle with because we might look at John 3.16 and say, all can be saved, all can know Christ, but when we look at that scripture isolated, we might get an incorrect view of it. We need to look at it in regard to all of Scripture. We have all of Scripture, which is such a blessing, and we need to use other resources to understand all of Scripture. So we're going to see a judgment coming where all flesh is going to be judged. But who? Why is God coming with anger and fury? Guys, fury, the word fury is defined as wild and violent anger. So, California and Oregon actually are on fire right now. I don't know if you knew that, but right now they have one of the large, actually the largest recorded wildfire in history. It was 281,000 acres. That is wild and angry fire. And how much more 
will God's fire be on the earth for those who do not love him? So, who is being judged here? This says, many, all flesh will be judged. I want to take you to chapter 66 in Isaiah, still stay there, but let's go to verse 3. This is why I want you to have your Bibles out because we want to use other resources. All of Scripture is good to attest to Scripture and the validity of Scripture. So, he who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like the one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering, a frankincense, like one who blesses an idol. That's very important to see there. So what do we see so far? We have these people. Isaiah is saying, you people are going before the Lord and making these offerings that you think are for him and that you love him, but how God really sees them is like you're blessing an idol, like you're offering pig's blood. Let's go on. These people... Now we're getting into the who. Why is God coming in fire? Well, we see it right here when we look at all of Scripture. These have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. What is the judgment here? What is the verdict? The verdict is they've chosen their own ways. They've chosen how to approach God. They've declared that I know right and wrong. What does that sound like? It sounds like original sin. We want to be God. We want to determine what is right and wrong. I want to approach my God how I think he should be approached. I think um, cheating on my wife is just fine. That's blasphemous. I think that LGBTQ plus people can be members in the church. Can they? Now, it's a hard saying. doesn't mean they can't be loved, church. They should be loved. How would Jesus approach them? Well, he would love them, but he doesn't mean he would sacrifice truth for them, Right? Did he do that for Satan? No. Why would he do it for anybody else? He would give truth. The woman at the well, he loved her, sent her off, but told her to stop sinning. So truth sometimes comes with harshness. Are we willing to go into that? So what we're seeing here, these people who are being judged are people who are not coming before the Lord with their whole heart. Verse 4 in 66, I also will choose harsh treatment for them. How do you reconcile a God of just love with that verse? In church, one of the, one of the scariest things that uh, might be invading the church is progressive Christianity, which I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, but I want to go through this text a little bit more. So what we see here in verse 3 through 4 really parallels with verse 17. Those who sanctify and purify themselves go into gardens, Following one another in the mist, eating pig's flesh, abominations of mice, shall come, to an end to, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord, period. This stuff is gonna end. This blasphemy of the Lord, this half-hearted worship, it's gonna end. He is gonna take care of it. How with fire? But there's a lot in verse 17 that needs to get uh, um, dug into a little bit deeper to really understand what's going on here. Context. Those who purify themselves and go into gardens. Now, think about ancient Israel, exodus from Egypt, promise in the wilderness. What was that? That they would inherit a land flowing with milk and honey, correct? Okay, they come into the land. Let me read you this quote. When the Israelites entered Canaan, they found a land of farmers, not shepherds. 
as they had been in the wilderness. The land was fertile beyond anything the Hebrew nomads had ever seen. So if you guys have gardens at home, they, they went pretty well. My wife would kill those gardens. But these are fertile, not my wife's gardens. The Canaanites attributed this fertility of this land to their god, Baal. And that is where the Israelites' problems began. Could the God who had led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness also provide fertile farms in the promised land? Or would that fertility God of Canaan have to be honored? And here's the kicker. Maybe to be safe, they should worship both, Yahweh and Baal. That's where the problem started. That's the dichotomy we see here in Scripture, half-hearted worship. Why? Because have we ever been able to truly trust God? Have we ever been able to truly give our whole heart to him? Have we been able to follow his call? And all this stuff is just repeated in scripture, guys. Um, verse 4, 66. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. Again, not me. This is scripture testifying to the people's hearts at this time. So context, who are the audience? This is a people who have been groomed to worship two gods because they cannot trust God with their whole heart. So what is going to be the answer? God says, I'm going to come in judgment, period. I'm done. Fire. I'm going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, I talked about progressive Christianity earlier, and I really think it's something I want to touch on because it's exactly how we can apply this scripture to ourselves today. So there's two ways we can really interpret scripture exegetically by looking at what's in the text, eisegetically applying it just to us in our everyday circumstances. So when we do it exegetically, we want to take the principle. What is the principle Isaiah is teaching the audience? Half-hearted worship. God's going to come in fire, either for judgment, purification, or he's going to give you zeal and passion. Now, when we look at progressive Christianity, they're doing the same thing the Israelites were. They're not going to bail for fertility, but they're going to the world to be accepted. They want to find security in the world. So let me, if you guys want to know more about progressive Christianity, the website you're going to want to go to is progressivechristianity.com. Super simple. And they have eight points. You can look at their beliefs, and they're all heretical. So here we go. The reason it's heretical is because they don't believe Jesus was God. That should be the end of all of it. They don't believe Jesus was God, but he was an enlightened man who encountered the divine and left ways for us to encounter the divine as well. So they also believe that the scripture is not inerrant. They believe that the scripture is a way that we can encounter the divine. They believe that there's a deity, but this deity is just love, guys. He just, he just love. He's all rainbow and unicorns. And that's why when they read the scriptures, there's actually progressive Christianity churches, they would not preach on this today. Why? Because it completely contradicts their idea of God, the calf that they've made to make them feel good and to be accepted by the world. Look, we accept all these things, so we can't be judged by the world. That completely flies in the face of all Scripture and all that Jesus taught us. God, verse 15, is coming in anger and fury. Yes, God is love, but should we sacrifice the revelation that has been given to us via the prophets, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, in order to be accepted by the world, to feel comfortable? That way we don't feel like we're judging anybody. Or do we stand as a sign to the nations? 
And again, this isn't me, this is just scripture. Because what do we look at when we see verse 18 and 19? For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather the nations and the tongues, and they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. Church, we are meant to be different. We're called to be different. So, how do we become different? Well, we need a heart change. Jesus says in Revelations, I wish you were either hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. Jesus desires a heart that's on fire for him, church. Look at the first kings in Chronicle Kings. Either things went really well when they had a heart fully after God, or things didn't go really well when they didn't have a heart for, other God, or for God. They started worshiping other gods. So again, using all of Scripture to understand what we're looking at, using other resources, using the Holy Spirit. So, we need a heart change to be different, to be countercultural. But I think Peter talks about this really well. Since destruction is coming, 2 Peter 2, 6 through 10, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. So Peter is talking about here how Lot was rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was a town similar to Babylon. Um, infested with sin. There was no one good there. You remember Moses kind of going through the conversation with God. If there's one righteous, two righteous, three righteous, will you save them? God's like, yes. So he saved the one righteous man in his family, Lot. The rest of the city was destroyed. So where do I get this idea for a needing to be cleaned, a needing to be purified? Well, it's in the text. Verse 20. If you jump down a little bit, you see that the Israelites will bring a grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. This grain offering is a symbol of the disciples that the apostles are going to gather and bring to the house of the Lord. Now, to come into the house of the Lord, you have to be clean. We got to be purified. So what happens when we're not? Well, we already see what happens, 15 and 16, and what Jesus is talking about separating the chaff from the wheat but I think one of the other ones that really draws a really clear picture of what happens when we're not clean and we try to approach the Lord is Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. The sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So what did they do? They did something that they thought that they could do on their own terms that the Lord didn't tell them to do. They went completely opposite of the Lord, in which we're already seeing leads to no good. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. That's exactly what we see in 15 and 16. When you deny the Lord, when you do something opposite of him, fire comes, judgment comes. Then, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So, church, these were priests. These were people allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. People that stand up here and give sermons. But what did God do here? He judged their heart. They came in at a time when they were not commanded, and the Lord judged them. How many more people are like that today in our church, in other churches, who call themselves Christians, but they do not have a heart for the Lord? So, what does it mean to be clean? Isaiah 66.2, when I talked about how 66 has been broken up into three different sermons, 66 talks a, bit, a little bit about those who are blessed. 66.2, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, 
but this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Church, do you tremble at the word of the Lord? Do you tremble at verses 15 and 16 that he's going to come in judgment? Are you, are you just like, I got video games to play. I got Netflix to watch. I got other things to do. I'm just here to, to be here. I'm not trying to warn you. I'm just reading what scripture says, and it sounds like a warning to me. That there's two ways to approach the Lord. Either one where we come humbly, we're contrite, which is feeling and expressing remorse, confessing sin, and we tremble at the word of the Lord. We tremble at the, his ways. One of my favorite sayings that actually took me a long time to understand um, was the wisdom of God is the fear of God. And I really didn't understand that because I had read that some places, I have heard it places, and then it, it took me to go through Proverbs, which it was defined for me. Wisdom of God is the fear of God, and the fear of God is to hate sin. That's it. If you want the wisdom of God, you have to have a heart that hates sin because that's what allows you to approach the Lord, to know the Lord more, and not be engulfed in flames like the sons of Aaron. If you want to know the Lord more, we need a humbled heart. We need to be allowed to approach the Lord. Verses 20 and 21, we see a foresight of this. We see that all they shall bring all your brothers from all nations an offering to the Lord. We'll be able to approach the Lord and offer and not be burned up on horses and in chariots and litters and on mules and on dromedaries. So verse 20, if you were reading this by yourself, dromedaries means camels. I didn't know that until now. So dromedaries is camels. Uh, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, and they shall have a function. So church, what do we see here? We're going to see a change that's going to happen that takes us from a heart stance of having heartless worship to a heart that allows us to not only come to his holy mountain, we're knocking on God's door, but we're able to come into his house and bring an offering and not be burned up. That's exactly what we see here in the text. And not only will we be able to come and worship, we'll be given a job. We'll be given gifts in church. This is what we eagerly, eagerly need to desire is to become a priest, become a Levite. What does that mean for us? Well, before I get into that, I really want to say that points to James 2.14. Faith without works is dead. Yes, we are saved by our faith. Praise God for that. Ephesians 2.8, it's not by the work of our own hands so that we may boast, but it's a gift from God that we have earned our salvation. So, it goes into this more. We can come into the house, but then we're given a job. And my argument for this job is that it is to love your neighbor because it's exactly what Jesus said. He said to love God with all your heart, love your neighbor. How do we do that? Well, I think it's using the Holy Spirit and looking at verse 19 in chapter 66. Verse 19, And they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations of Tarshish, Paul, and Lud, who draw the bow to two-ball jab into the coastlands far away. Now, when you read this, if you've read this by yourself, and you're like, what is Tarshish? What is Paul? What is Lud? What does it mean that they draw the bow? Don't worry, I read the commentaries for you, so I'll tell you. And what is really cool is that this is more so a metaphor for places that are scary. So, 
we're again using proper hermeneutics. Today when we think of a bow, it's like that's pointless. I have an AR-15 and a nine mil. Like a bow's not gonna do anything compared to those. Well, when we're talking about ancient Israelites, they did not have AR-15s, which is really sad for them because they're a lot of fun. Um, anyways, when we're looking at places that pull the bow, in that time of war, bows were really useful. Why were they really useful? Because you could keep a very, very far distance from your enemy, therefore maintaining more of your warriors. And if you had a lot of them, they could be really effective with taking out max numbers. All you needed was manpower and resources. So manpower, people to draw the bow, but also arrows to be made. And what God is saying is that I'm going to send people to a land where they're really, really good at this. So if you've watched Robin Hood, he can shoot an apple off somebody's head. These lands, Tarshish, Pole, and Lud, are full of Robin Hoods. Just think of it like that. And they might not be very pleasant. So we're supposed to be a people that have a courage to go to these scary places. Remember, Jesus said, you're going to be able to come into my house, but also I'm going to give you a job. You're going to go to these lands. The coastlands far away, that's supposed to think about places unexplored, unknown, which can create fear. I don't know if it's comfortable for me. So if you've ever been to college and it was your first year, or you've ever gone to a new school, or you've ever had a child, it's like your first one. It's like, oh my word, there's so much stuff that could possibly happen here. Make sure I read all the books. Um, but you can never know. And that's why we need the Spirit, church. And John 14, 16 is one of the ones that's debated in literature, and I would say that the Holy Spirit assumes all these roles. So the debate is between, is it helper? Is the Holy Spirit a helper? Is he a comforter or a counselor? I would say he's all three. But for the sake of this, I want to use comforter, because in the Latin, the Holy Spirit is called cum forte, with strength. So, we'll be a sign among the people, and we're going to have a strength to go into these lands where they pull the bow really good. We're going to be able to go to these lands that we're not really sure of. And how are we going to be able to do that? With the Holy Spirit. The sign that came upon, among the apostles and sent them out. So, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, I'm going to send you out to the nations, using all of Scripture to understand what we're reading here. So, church... When you receive the Spirit, what a wonderful thing it is. And that's by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The gospel is what allows us to receive this sign. The gospel is what allows us to go out to these nations. The gospel is what gives us the strength. It cleanses us of our sin. We are allowed to come into the house of the Lord. We're allowed to go before the throne of grace and ask for anything. Jesus says you do not have because you do not ask. Come to me. I've made a way. We sang that today. Church, do you believe that? that God has made a way for you through Jesus on the cross. He was God, died on the cross, rose, and will come again, but has sent the Spirit as an engagement ring, as a promise saying, here, I want you to have this. Go out, share what you know, share what you've experienced with others. Bring them life, church. Bring them joy. Bring them comfort. What else in this world can do the things that the Holy Spirit can do if you truly experienced Him? How much has He lifted your anxiety? How much has he done for your depression? I know me growing up in a poor home, one of my biggest fears is money and he's just done so much for me in that. Like it's probably part of the reason why I have Crohn's disease is because of how much I worry, but the Lord has just taken that. So don't quench the spirit, church. When you receive the spirit, desire spiritual gifts. 
desire prophecy, desire healing, desire words of knowledge and wisdom, desire, desire discerning spirits, desire teaching, but above all, please desire prophecy, please desire faith, because those are the two things that are really going to take us out to our neighbors. We're going to need a strong faith to go out to scary places, places where there's danger. We're going to need to trust the Spirit that He's going to be able to provide, and that we're going to be different Jesus says, Matthew 10, 20, they will hate you because of me. That is the complete opposite of progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity is trying to be loved by the world and craft a Jesus that can be accepted by all the things of the world. But if they believe that Jesus taught about the divine, how do they reconcile? They will hate you because of me. We're supposed to be countercultural. We're supposed to have strength from the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to have courage. He's gonna divide households because of Jesus, Luke 12, 49 through 53. House fires are dangerous. So what we see is Jesus coming back to separate the chaff from the wheat, the chaff he's gonna burn up in quenchable fires, but what he's also saying is, hey, I'm gonna give you a fireproof suit and the Holy Spirit. You're gonna be able to withstand the flames, and I want you to go into these flaming, burning down houses, rescue people, go into the dangerous places, bring them out of the fire, Try, please, church, bring these people out of the fire because they need to know the goodness of God. And one of the things that really speaks to this is the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, 20 through 21. They rejoice, this is the seed that is sown on rocky ground. They rejoice when they hear the word of God, but when persecution and tribulation comes on the account of the word, they fall away. Church, what kind of seed are you? Are you a seed that when you hear the word of the Lord, you rejoice and when tribulation comes, you have your fireproof suit on and the Holy Spirit and your faith? Or are you the seed that was sown amongst rocky ground when tribulation comes, you burn up like the chaff? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Where is our faith leading us into? Are we going into dangerous places? I recently told you guys that God had called me to go to the poor. I got to practice that recently. I went to the Metro Laundromat on 6th Street in Waterloo. Um, and before that, I was really nervous because this is the first time I'd really done like a team effort of evangelism. So what we were going to do was uh, there was a guy there who had a bunch of money. They're giving free laundry away for three hours. They had a sign out front. There were tons of people there. And he gave us a couple quarters, and we'd go back to this guy and get more quarters. There were so many people there. There was so much laundry. Um, and it could be really intimidating, because this was a countercultural place for me. There's people from different ethnicities, different races, different backgrounds, spoke different languages. I didn't know. But the one thing that came upon me was just trust the Spirit. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, when you enter persecution, don't worry. The Spirit will give you the words you need to say. Do you trust that? Are you experiencing this in your day-to-day -day church? And that's what I experienced. I got to pray over people. I got to go through the Bible. I got to teach on the denominations. And I felt like my teaching gift was just multiplied. So church, if you want to understand the path that God has for you, practice biblical wisdom. Practice his call. The Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Go and bring in the people from the different nations. Go and share your testimony. Go and share what God has shown you. So church, what I'm calling you to do today is that we need to be bold. We need to rescue others from the house fire. We need to give the gospel of life an inexpressible joy. That's what Second Peter says when he's talking about the refining of our faith. Our faith is gonna be refined in a fire by God that leads to inexpressible joy that we can share with others. So, 
Here are some tips and tricks for evangelism. Um, workplaces. I have a wonderful model for you. It's called wild watering hole sheep pen. So your workplace, you're in the wild, correct? You're in the secular world, okay? Um, there's where you can meet wandering sheep, sheep that are in burning down huts, like um, three little pigs, but in this metaphor, sheep. So what you want to do is you want to find them in the wild, befriend them. Like, hey, cool, what do you know? What do you like to do? Da, 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 da. Do you like football? No, okay, I like tennis. Well, okay, I don't know how to talk about tennis, but we'll try. So you make friends, take them to a watering hole. This is a neutral place. Sheep need to drink water, right? Yeah, coffee shops, take them out for food, take them to get a drink at the bar. I don't care where you take them. Take them somewhere neutral. Build that relationship and then bring them to the sheep pen. The sheep pen can be um, getting into the Bible one-on-one. It could be taking them to your small group. It could be taking them to church. So that's an easy model for your workplace. Wild, watering hole, sheep pen. Next, I have relationship advice for you. So if you're married or you're single in dating, or single or dating, um, I have a, something crazy you guys can do and exciting to spice things up a little bit. It's about to get hot in here. So go on a prayer walk. <laughs> Anticlimactic. So why do I say that's hot and dangerous? Well, it is. Um, if you guys are familiar with Cedar Falls, go to College Street Friday night, um, 8 to 10, two hours. Pray for the college students that are going to all the bars. You know how much courage it takes to go up to a 20-something who is probably half out of their mind and say, hey, can I pray for you? It's t- so much courage. But that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Get people out of the house fire. I'm giving a sign for you. I'm giving you a fire suit. I'm giving you a way to go to these people. Singles. If you're trying to date people, it's a good way to practice discernment. Send them a text. Be like, hey, you want to go to a prayer walk? Watch and see how they respond. If it's a guy, that girl's that you're texting, and they say, nah, not really my style, do you want that kind of man leading you that says, yeah, I'm going to lay back, stay here where it's, where it's safe? Is that the kind of man you want to lead you? Men texting women, do you want to go on a prayer walk? Nah, not my style. Is that the kind of helper that you want that's going to embolden you and raise you up? Families, this was an image I was given, so this is for you. Um, If you have children, as I was praying over this text, I got this image of families in waiting rooms at Texas Roadhouse because it's one of my favorite restaurants. So God was like, here, make this easy. So you guys were in Texas Roadhouse, and um, you're like, hey, we're going to pray over these people. But before you guys did, you huddled. And it was like a five-year-old boy, a 10-year-old girl, mom and dad. We're going to pray over these people, and you sent them out. And I got the image of the five-year-old boy walking up to this random person and saying, hey, can I pray for you? And just in the most innocent, sweet voice, and he prayed for this person, and then he said, Jesus loves you. And that was it. And that's something you can do on a Friday night with your family. Go to somewhere that's packed. Prep them beforehand, be like, hey, we're gonna pray. Say, this is something you can pray, and then at the end, tell them Jesus loves you. And that is a way to go out to the nations, church. That is a way to go into the burning down house and bring people to the Lord. And it's really interesting that this is how we see Isaiah end, that there's a people that are going to come before the Lord, and we get into verse 23. If this was really confusing, I'm happy I get to cover it now, from new moon to new moon to Sabbath to Sabbath. The ancient Israelites had uh, feasts and times to worship. God's saying, I'm done with that. You can worship at any time. And that's why we have the Spirit. We can worship in the Spirit at any time. 
24, and they will go and look out at the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for the worm shall not die, the fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in a born soul of flesh. This is us looking over who we once were. I like to call myself the chief of all sinners as a reminder. I get to look at where God rescued me from. He rescued me from the unquenchable fire. Church, this is what God's calling us to do. At the end of Isaiah, we have a call to mission, and this is very similar to Matthew and Mark. So church, as you leave here today, I really do encourage you to maybe make plans with your significant others to go on prayer walks just once, see how it goes. Also, I encourage you just to abide in the Lord. Be a sign among the people. Be countercultural. Bear fruit by rescuing, rescuing others uh, from the house fire. Thank you.